all trees are going to come down at some point. And I just encourage people to look at what the highest, best use of that tree might be. It's not all firewood or mulch. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of down trees in the woods that are great for habitat and things like that, but there are some usable trees that come down that if, if you can find the right people, you can have some, you know, you use, get a lot more use out of that tree than just firewood. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 12 of the Kansas Forest Podcast. Today, I've got Tom Hoggard with me, who is the owner of Tom the Sawyer, which is a portable mill service, and he's based up out of Northeast Kansas. And I've also got Dave Bruton with me, who's the coordinator of utilization and marketing for the Kansas Forest Service. So guys, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Nice to be here. Um, so Tom, let's just jump right in. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved in forestry and in milling specifically? Well, if I go to the very beginning, about 55 years ago, uh, junior high school, you had a choice of taking, boys had a choice of taking woodshop or metal shop. I took woodshop and I have been a woodworker ever since. I don't have any, none of my family, my parents or grandparents, they weren't woodworkers but I really enjoyed it. And so over the years, I would build furniture and do different things. And I became aware of the fact that lumber costs are extremely high, especially when you're starting out. And if you design a project and then you go to buy the lumber, it can be a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I started finding ways to salvage logs and have them turned into lumber, or I would buy lumber directly from a sawmill and dry it and plant it and do those things myself. And it saved quite a bit of money. So over the years, I started salvaging logs every time I could find a log somewhere, neighbor cutting a tree down or construction site, I would get the logs and then I would have to go and try to find somebody like me to cut it up for me. Mm-hmm. Most large mills don't deal with one or two logs or a hobbyist type thing. And so when I retired from my regular career in 2009 and I was having trouble finding somebody to mill my logs, I decided to buy a sawmill. So. I bought it in 2009, 2010, I started getting phone calls because people, once they find out you have a sawmill, they have something to get sawn. So I've been doing it for 11 years now as a retirement job. But it, uh, I primarily focus on urban logs and I have a sawmill service. So I'm unlike a lot of sawmills, which buy logs and saw lumber and sell lumber. I don't do that. Uh, very seldom do I sell lumber. I do buy logs to have a supply on hand for my clients because I have woodworkers who are looking for something but don't have a tree to take down. Hmm. So that's most of what I do is I custom mill lumber. Okay, that's really interesting. So you mentioned they're working with salvage logs um, from a lot of urban areas. So what might those salvage logs be coming from? Most of the stuff that I get is from tree services and the trees are usually taken out for construction, like they're expanding their home or they're building a new building and they take trees down that are in the way. Uh, also, storm damaged trees like the tornado we had two years ago in Linwood. Uh, I'm still milling trees from that, from logs that come from that tornado. Uh, diseases. Uh, sometimes it may be uh, forcers to make recommendations to a farmer to take out certain trees to enhance the growth of their forest. And those trees aren't normally high value, like a, an, they're not a high value tree. They may be like uh, sycamore box elder, uh, hackberry, elm, 
in order to enhance the growth of walnuts and oaks and other desirable trees. And those trees though have some size to them. And I have a lot of woodworkers who like a variety of woods. Not everything is walnut or oak. Yeah, so Dave, could you maybe tell us a little bit about um, sawmills in Kansas? Are there a lot of them? How can people find a sawmill close to them? Yeah, and uh, currently we have 52 sawmills on our listing of, tim or of, uh, of sawmills, um, and that's available online. If people just uh, then go to our Kansas Forest Service website uh, to access that, but I tell people also if they just want to type in Kansas sawmills, um, that's kind of an easy way. Sometimes, however, I've found with the internet, um, and I've done it myself, I, you know, will type in Kansas sawmills if I'm if I'm in a hurry trying to look something up and it may take me back to a list that's a few years old. So I do encourage people to try to, uh, uh, if they do that, just type in Kansas sawmills and they look at the date on the publication, um, try to make sure that it's it's fairly current. And, and I always do an annual update of the sawmills. I usually do that update towards the latter part of uh, uh, July or the first part of August. I find that to be a good time of the year when it's hot outside and uh, you know it's easier to catch people in that time of the year sometimes and so I, I do do an annual update um, however I do update the list um, throughout the year uh, whenever I run across somebody that's maybe new has just recently purchased a mill or there are lots of folks out there um, that do have mills that aren't on our list may not be aware of the Kansas Forest Service or may just want to kind of do their own thing and and so uh, I know that there are lots of mills uh, other than the 52 that we have on our current list. Um, so people may even just check around in their local community and try to find those folks. But I would encourage anybody that has a sawmill, uh, it's a free listing that we offer um, from the Kansas Forest Service, kind of free advertisement basically. And, and uh, I'd encourage them to uh, contact me and uh, be glad to add them to that listing. And basically, we just, uh, uh, the listing includes the contact name, um, the type of mill, whether it's portable or, or stationary. And, uh, um, and that's one important thing, too. Um, people like Tom, uh, you know, he's able to go portable, um, and meaning he can actually bring the mill to a person's property or location and mill that on site. Um, but uh, there are some mills that are stationary, and usually those are the bigger uh, mills or the old circle saws that mo some people may be familiar with, but uh, but they're they're uh, you know those listings are, are available online and uh, would would encourage anybody that has a mill and wants to try to expand their their offerings or opportunities that way to uh, to to be added to that list and and it's on a voluntary type basis and uh, so we just we just uh, would be glad to have pe more people on that list. So Dave, can you speak to a little bit about how you um, assist sawmills or the connection there between the sawmills we have in Kansas and the Kansas Forest Service? Well, several years ago, we formed a Kansas Forest Products Association, and that was kind of an effort to try to uh, bring people like Tom and, and all the other industry folks, the, the loggers, the sawmill operators, and kind of forest industry in general together. Um, that kind of morphed over time into a uh, uh, the Kansas Forestry Association, which is kind of a landowner group, but also involves industry. Um, and so, so that that Kansas Forestry Association 
uh, is active now and uh, um, so people can be a part of that. But basically what I do is when people have questions, you know, about the milling processes or things I can try to, to assist. This past year has been kind of a challenge uh, for me because of COVID and uh, not being able to get out and connect with people. So it's kind of here as we're able to get back out and, and get the COVID issue behind us. Uh, it's gonna be probably like opening a new door because I've, I've talked to several people that uh, I've added to the list of sawmills and uh, haven't even met them in person yet. It's all been through phone uh, type conversation. So, so I, what I can do is try to connect people and, and promote you know, our forest industry. You know, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is trees are a natural renewable resource. And I always try to stress that to adults and kids whenever we do youth education type things, um, try to encourage or instill in, in, in people the, the natural renewable aspect of it because we can harvest trees um, utilize them and then also grow trees back. And so, so forest products in Kansas are an important part of the economy and, and a growing part of the economy, I think, and we can improve that. Mm -hmm. So what changes have you guys seen over the years in the demand for milled lumber? Um, and, and, you know, what sort of projects might that lumber be used for? Well, when I first started, uh, I was trained to do something known as grade sawing. Uh, you would take whatever log you had and then you would, you would essentially square the log up, find the best face, and you would saw from that face until it was no longer the best face. And that was to get the highest value out of every board. And then shortly after I started 10 years, 11 years ago, there was a transition, I think motivated by the internet sites like Etsy and Pinterest to adopt live edge lumber and uh, a lot of figured lumber and things like that to get away from just the normal routine commodity lumber appearance. And it's interesting that live edge tables and things like that have been around for many, many years. I think uh, there was an artist, George Nakashima, who was building those types of tables probably 50 years ago, but it, it something caught on and people started doing that. And I got a lot more requests for that. So easily 75% of the lumber that I mill now, they request live edges or a natural edge on the lumber. And uh, they also uh, tend to want more thicker lumber. Uh, you know, it was a lot of times you would have what we refer to as four quarter or five quarter lumber, inch, inch and a quarter thick for most projects. And now it's very common to have requests for lumber that's two and a half or three inches thick. And uh, for just for tables, I mean, the, that massive look. So that for me, that has changed. And I, I, I think that's one thing that I would like to stress is that, uh, you know, when people are getting their lumber milled, you know, themselves or taken to a sawmill here in Kansas, they can really specify, you know, different thicknesses. If you go to a lumber yard, you're all, you're going to find, you know, the same thicknesses usually. And, uh, like Tom had mentioned, you know, it, it's kind of a commodity, you know, for them. And so they kind of want all the boards to look the same whenever they get a board that's a little bit unique, um, you know, has a different grain pattern. Um, they would really, in some cases, not like to deal with that because when they're selling, you know, a big bundle of lumber to somebody to build a project out of, if there's one or two boards in there that have, have a, a different grain pattern or, or a different, uh, you know, 
growth ring pattern, um, then that makes that board stand out. And, and so people don't like that so much. And so, you know, when you go to a, a somebody like Tom and one of the other sawmills in the state, you're able to really, you know, oftentimes the sawmill operators will even encourage you to be present, you know, when that log is being milled so that you can say, hey, I would like to, you know, take another, take another cut off of that because I'm really liking the grain pattern that I'm seeing or no, let's switch that log around and, you know, cut a different, different way. So those are the things that, uh, that make it really unique um, in working with somebody like Tom and the other sawmill operators around and, and each sawmill is going to be a little bit different. You know, some people that are more on the production side, they're not going to not, they're not going to want to, you know, take the time to, to, analyze each cut that they make but in a lot of cases those people with the smaller mills um, they're able to do that and take the time and, and really get get out of get out of what people want so maybe it's a good time to take a step back and explain what what does a portable sawmill look like and how does it function because uh, we may have some folks listening that haven't seen one of those in operation well the definition of a portable sawmill is one generally that has a hitch and an axle on it, and it can be moved to from location to location. It is a general class of mills. Uh, there are companies that exclusively deal in portable sawmills. Uh, the issue I find sometimes with portable mills is we may list a, a mill. You may see a mill listed as a portable mill, like it's a wood miser, it's a timber king, or it's whatever it is, and yet it never goes anywhere. It, it is basically, it comes from the store or the, the manufacturing facility or some, or a previous owner and you tow it home and you park it and it never moves. And I certainly understand that because it's not, it's not a real easy thing in most cases that there's a bit of a hassle, um, especially with uh, where I'm on the Eastern Northeast part of Kansas uh, moving a sawmill usually involves uh, participation or actually registration with the United States Department of Transportation. And so you have to go, have DOT requirements for drivers and the trucks and the mill and the, ex the annual inspections and things like that in order to provide milling services that are, that are actually mobile. Uh, but I, I do have a portable mill and I think probably most of the portable mills that are sold move once or twice in their lifetimes and they don't move very far. But uh, it means it is you can move it as opposed to a large mill where it's set up permanently at a facility. Yeah, and that's what I really on the listing of, of sawmills that we maintain, I list whether it's portable or stationary. And, uh, you know, some some folks will say, well, I'm really not interested in, in taking it anywhere. Um, and so, you know, I, I list them more as the stationary side of things. But um, as Tom mentioned, basically the portable on my listing that we have through the Kansas Forest Service, it means that they are able to physically go to a, a property. And some of those may not have axles under those. There are um, what they call swing mills or Peterson and, and uh, Lucas are, is a kind of brand names. Um, but those kind of come, you disassemble those and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of time involved in that. Um, so, so those folks that do have those sorts of swing type mills, um, sometimes they may be listed as portable or they may be stationary, depending on whether they uh, truly want to go, you know, and, and go on the road that way. But as Tom mentioned, one of the things that, 
that a lot of people, when when I'm working with folks and they call me up and say, hey, I'd like to be added to the list and whether they're, if their sawmill is portable, you know, usually I, I encourage people to go portable for a little while um, because, uh, you know, it's a way to get their name out there and, and to advertise their services and provide that service to people. But it is hard on the sawmills to bounce up and down the country roads and and uh, you know the rocks and things that fly up off the tires uh, can damage things and so um, and also what I have found is that when people you know call for a, a you know a portable service to come to their property you know they have good intentions of getting the logs in in one location and and have good intentions in 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 mind but sometimes you know their tractor breaks down that they were going to use to drag the logs to the location and then the portable sawmill operator shows up and the logs are strewn all over. And so it's kind of a challenge that way for, for some people when they do go portable. And plus when they break down, you know, say a sawmill has an issue, you know, during the milling process, um, if they've gone portable and they don't have the extra part or the tool or whatever they need to repair things, then that's an extra trip for them to have to run back to the shop. And so, you know, basically, you know, most people that go portable, will go portable for a little while and then it's it's kind of a good scenario if they can set up underneath a, a lean-to shed or some structure where they can get out in out of the weather and then also if they have those issues they're able to to make repairs or have the tools that they need you know right there at their disposal to to quick uh, quickly fix things so so most people that that go portable you know they also are set up stationary where people can bring them logs and then if, if, uh, if the services require them to go portable, they will. Okay, so maybe changing gears a little bit here, um, you know, talking about having these portable mills on site and, and getting that mill lumber out of it. Um, how have you seen, you know, just increased prices at the lumber yard affecting the demand for milled lumber? And has that changed any from what you mentioned earlier, Tom, with the, the live edge and a lot of, um, kind of your Etsy and Pinterest projects, or are there a lot of people trying to build structures with milled lumber? I get that call for lately, in the last two or three months, I get that call probably five times a week. Hmm. And I got two of them yesterday. And uh, there are concerns about building with native woods. Uh, some states actually have, uh, they have laws that permit the building of with native woods. If it's your if it's your property, and you're building it, and it's your trees, and you mill it, in some states, I think Wisconsin has a native wood law. I think a couple other states have that. But for Kansas, in most cases, home construction or a human occupied structure, in most cases, requires that the lumber be dried and certified, graded and certified for use for its intended purpose. There are a few places around in Kansas, I've run, I've run into one in the last week or so, in counties where they do not have or do not require conformance with building codes. And so you can build, you could take green lumber, cut your own trees down, mill it, have somebody mill it for you and build it out of your own lumber. You can do that. I do strongly recommend, even if you don't have to comply with building codes, if you read the building, the uniform building code, there's a lot of good information in there that may prevent problems down the road. For example, what spans you can have, how big a piece of lumber it takes to span a certain distance and things like that. 
but you can, in some locations, build with your native, with your own wood. Okay. Well, it, under that, we are primarily a hardwood forest area. And so most people build their homes using softwood lumber, usually SPF, spruce pine fir type of thing. And that's normally what is graded and, and that's the uh, spans and stuff are all based upon that type of lumber. And most hardwoods, most of them are going to be stronger than that, but some are not. And you really need to look closely at, at the type of lumber. Uh, there are difficulties with building uh, with hardwood, like oak two by fours is going to be a different process than, than a pine two by four, as far as nailing into it without splitting it. Uh, the other thing is the lumber should be dry especially if you are building with enclosed spaces, like if you have a wall, interior wall coverings, if you build with green lumber, you'll get mold in the walls because the wood's going to give off its moisture. It's going to come into equilibrium with whatever the atmosphere is. And some of our woods, a common one requested for like making two before us to build something is cottonwood. It's our most voluminous wood in the state of Kansas, as far as I know, is that right, Dave? I believe that's still true, yes. And, and it's often used for utility type purposes. And uh, it's not a high demand wood for woodworkers, but somebody might say, oh, I've got a lot of cottonwood trees, I can build a house. And cottonwood can have more water in it than the, when it's fresh cut, can have more moisture in the, in the board than the, the board when it's dry would even weigh. I mean, it has moisture contents above 100%. And if you don't get that out of there before you enclose your wall and put your sheetrock up, you'll get mold inside the walls. That's like so and that, that is an important that is an important point to uh, to drive home, I guess, is, you know, whenever somebody contacts me about building something for structural purposes now for, for trim and and flooring and, and all those sorts of things that's outside of this realm, but anything that's going to be structural and help support the building, um, you know, if they, they need to contact their county uh, building code type office um, to find out whether whether they are under those requirements or not. And what I have found, there, there are several counties in the state, as Tom mentioned, um, that that don't require anything. And there are more and more that are, are, are starting to adopt those. And usually what I find is those counties that are becoming more populated. I mean, nobody wants their, their house that they're building, you know, to fall in. And uh, it's usually the more populating uh, counties that have the building inspectors and the the enforcement uh, of that, and so anybody that's want, wants to build, you know, anything structural um, from their native woods, I would encourage them to contact their respective counties because we can say something today um, and it not be true tomorrow if a county adopts that. And so it's always good to uh, to try to get the most current information at the time um, of of planned construction. And, you know, I, I look back, you know, all the old barns uh, or a lot of the old barns that are scattered across the landscape and you look back at the, you know, old houses and those sorts of things. Um, you know, really, if, if we, we really have lots of our native woods, you know, in those barns, lots of barns will have walnut beams and, you know, walnut lumber in there. Um, and walnut is really decay resistant and holds up well. I've seen lots of cottonwood barns you know, that are out there and they've, they've survived well over a hundred years. And so, um, you know, as Tom mentioned, it's it's not that the, the woods, the hardwoods um, 
you know, aren't going to be, be supportive, but basically during the kind of the inspection process, if you do live in one of those counties where they have to have, where they have building codes and the lumber has to be inspected, um, there, as far as I know, there's nobody in the state, we, we don't have an inspector, a lumber, a hardwood lumber inspector for structural purposes in the state. Now, there are some architects, I believe, that can, can put a stamp on things, it, but basically they're looking for knots and defects and things like that that are in the wood, uh, visual uh, type inspection that, that kind of assures that the lumber is solid and sound and going to support you know, for the, for the purpose that it's being put in there for. But you know, obviously if you have big knots in the wood, uh, if you have big decay points or rot in there, then those boards are going to be more defective and, and not supportive that way. So, so that is important to, to make sure people are aware you know, of their building codes in their counties and make sure they follow those steps. I think one of the things that's driving it recently is I just, I, I had an article I received this morning. Since April of 2020, the wholesale lumber prices for construction lumber has gone up 437% according to this National Home Builders Association uh, study. And that's why a lot of people are out looking. The fact is that under normal circumstances, Pretty much all of the hardwoods that Kansas property owners would have are more valuable if milled than the lumber that they would buy to build their house. Uh, you know, a lot of normal price for construction lumber, you might find two before and stuff at a figure of maybe 75 cents a board foot. And it's not likely that there's much timber in Kansas hardwood timber that milled and dried wouldn't be worth at least twice that, if not 10 times that. So. Uh, it's just one of those things that uh, it's, I think people have panicked because the, they wanted to build something this year and the prices are extremely high. And so I've got trees and that's the next step. But by the time you take the trees down, mill the trees, stack it, dry it, prep it for use and use it, I wouldn't be surprised if the prices don't moderate somewhat and go back down. Yeah, I saw a report, I saw a report this morning too that, uh, Basically, um, a single family home construction, uh, the price of just the lumber, uh, the input costs of that are up around $36,000 um, uh, over the last year. And so, you know, that adds a lot to the construction costs of, of homes. And um, I was visiting with a person uh, recently that does hardwood flooring. And uh, he was saying that typically he's able to put a bid together for a homeowner and and when he puts that bid in <clears throat> excuse me when he puts the bid in with his supplier of the lumber um they're able to honor that you know several weeks um you know down the road and now um he's having a hard time getting that flooring um you know he's having to order it way out in advance and they're actually not not quoting price uh information um, until cl much closer to that. So it makes it difficult for people in the industry that, you know, are putting bids together um, that may, you know, they may have to tell the, the person that they're supplying the lumber for, I mean, the, the homeowner, they may have to tell them, hey, you know, it, it, it's this price today, but, you know, it may go up by the time we actually get it. And so those are the sorts of things that we're getting into right now. And it's a, it's a compilation of a lot of things. I think the low interest rates over the last, you know, several years, um, that's driving up interest in people building homes. And when the when the COVID 
situation hit. I think a lot in the industry and what I've been seeing is a lot in the industry thought there was going to be a downturn that people were going to stop spending money. And so a lot of the mills shut back on their cut back on their production. And, uh, you know, it almost became the opposite as people spent more time at home. They were wanting to remodel and put home office spaces in their their structures. And so it was kind of that perfect storm of, you know, lining up where where the demand was was increasing and the supply was going down. And so like with a lot of things, the fuel prices, usually when fuel prices go up, um, you know, it, it's a hard, it's a long time in, in, in coming down. And so I think that things will moderate, but it is going to take time because as long as uh, uh, people are, you know, like, you know, I lost my train of thought there, my phone rang, sorry. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so Dave, you were talking about the, the price moderating and what are some of those factors that might lead to those, price, oh, those lumber prices coming down at the lumber yard? Yeah, and I, I think the lumber prices will moderate over time. It's going to take time uh, in coming down. And, uh, you know, basically it's a matter of the supply and demand is what's driving this. And, you know, over time, the sawmills will probably catch up you know, with, with the demand that's out there and the demand may start dropping off if interest rates start going up. And so, like I say, it was kind of a, a perfect storm that we ran into this past year um, with COVID and, and kind of people being off on what, how they thought things were going to be handled. And, and uh, so I, you know, I expect that things will probably moderate over time. So it sounds like maybe there's an opportunity even to expand milling in Kansas if those hardwoods are are that valuable. Um, so do you, do either of you see the potential for that sawmill industry to expand within the state? I I actually do. Um, what I have seen the, the the downside of what has been happening and actually the downturn in that 07, 08 time period. Um, what I have seen over the last, you know, 13 or 14 years is that the bigger commercial mills that we had in Kansas, um, they were really hurt during that time period. And so um, our, our bigger commercial operations, you know, we, we have very few right now that are producing on a big, big scale. But um, there are more and more people, I think, like Tom out there with, with the smaller uh, portable type mills and the smaller mills that are providing, um, you know, a, a much needed service. And with transportation costs being, a, I always say transportation costs are a killer with forest products because, you know, if you're, if you're having to haul stuff further, um, say you lose a mill and the next market is another 100 miles down the road, well, that's, that's, uh, less money basically or you lose value in your timber that way because that tree becomes less valuable because you're having to spend more in the dollar to get it uh, to the market and so i really kind of almost um you know with the analogy of farmers markets years ago you didn't didn't have a lot of farmers markets and then the farmers markets you know caught on and now people you know on their saturday mornings or whatever are, are first in line to go get their, their fresh vegetables and fruits and things like that that are offered at those farmers markets. And, you know, kind of what I have seen is with the bigger mill production here in Kansas declining because of the downturn in the economy, there is an increased demand, I think, uh, in smaller 
operators and being able to provide that service to local people. Um, and, and people like getting those boards that are unique. Um, you know, if, if great grandpa planted a tree and, and it got damaged in a storm and they wanna build something and, and it's a family heirloom or something to pass on to the kids, um, there's opportunities there. So that's, that's kind of a big change that I have seen just over the last you know, 10 or 15 years is that it, it's become less of a commodity type thing, which is, is good and bad, um, you know, because we have lots of trees here in Kansas and, and the portable sawmills and the smaller operators can't handle the, you know, the bigger quantity unless you know, we just get lots and lots of mills out there, which, which would be nice to have. Um, because if we've got mills scattered across the landscape, um, they're able to service those people better and be closer and in the local communities. And so, so that's, that's kind of been a, been a nice thing to see is more and more of those sorts of things. And, and several people on our list of sawmills, one thing I would encourage people to do is on our list of sawmills is to check that out. We've got several people have nice websites um, that they can click on and, and give them ideas on, on things to, to make um, and, uh, and the services that they provide. One, one thing I would mention, it's been my observation about the high cost of lumber right now is that it is primarily in the softwoods. It's primarily construction lumber, plywood, OSB, that seems to be driving that. I don't know that the hardwoods have gone up near as much as the softwoods have. Uh, commodity lumber, as we've mentioned before, commodity lumber is, is kind of like corn or oil is a commodity. And many of those operations apparently run very slim margins. And when COVID hit and they, they lost employees either through sickness or because of mandatory shutdowns or whatever, that a lot of those didn't have the financial, uh, they didn't have a, a backup as far as enough money to keep them going for three months, six months, nine months. I, some of the publications I get are just jammed with uh, auctions of large sawmill sites that huge operations that are shutting down. And it's not necessarily you know, the owner's retiring and nobody's taking it over. It's because they're just going out of business. And they have been, in one case, they said they'd been shut down for six months and now they're auctioning it off. And that was in Missouri, a big uh, walnut operation. And uh, it's, it's a slim margin. One of the other things, there is a, I think there is a niche in Kansas. There are quite a few sawmills. There's certainly more than the 52 that are on the list, uh, but kiln drying services. Uh, kilns, ex extremely accelerate the usability of wood. And you can only air dry lumber down to an ambient around here if it's outside is around 12%. And most homes you're gonna be down seven or 8% and kilns can take it down there. Kilns can do sterilization to kill any bugs or anything in the wood. And more kiln drying services being available would be nice. I, I have a number of them I refer people to who want to accelerate that drying process. But in many kilns, uh, they're talking about maybe a kiln that does five or 10,000 board feet of lumber at a time. And if you're a, a homeowner that's just got 500, uh, your local sawmill just mill 500 board feet of walnut for you, it may be more difficult to find somebody that's really ready to take that in. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a completely different process. I mean, milling is one thing and the drying is a completely different process. You need a lot of storage area. Uh, and you need, you know, the wood needs to be at the right levels and the right, you can't just dry any wood at the same time. You know, it's, 
the wettest wood, it's based upon the wettest wood, the thickest wood, and the slowest drying species. And if that's the case, you may have wood that may have to be in a kiln longer if it goes in with something else that's wetter. And so they have schedules and the kiln operators have to kind of balance that. And if you have one kiln, if an operator has just one kiln, then that's a lot of juggling and there's gonna be a lot of disappointed people that aren't gonna be able to get their stuff done in a, in a quick time, quick turnaround. Yeah, it sounds like there's so many factors that go into milling and, and then kiln drying to be able to use that wood. So Tom, if people are interested in learning more about that process or um, talking to somebody that's been around it for many years or learning more about forestry in general, what, where would you suggest they go or is there a group that they could get involved with? I think, I think there, most of the sawmill operators that I have contact with or, uh, or deal with in groups or forums tend to be very independent people. And, and quite frankly, some of us are very opinionated people. <laughs> and so uh, we, as, as he mentioned, we had the Kansas uh, Forest Products Association and there were, it was a, a wide range. There were people like me, a one man shop and up to the largest mills we had in Kansas at that, that, at that time that would participate, but others don't want to participate in anything. Uh, I do encourage anybody who's running a sawmill to have a website. I know some have like a Facebook page. I've done that too, but but I think websites are very helpful. My website has a lot of information on it about the milling process and prices and everything else. But uh, there are industry groups, uh, forums, online forums, uh, where that information is available. Uh, yeah, I think if you do a search, uh, woodland owners, I certainly encourage any woodland owner uh, in Kansas to join the Kansas Forestry Association. And they have field days in conjunction with the Kansas Forest Service and they do agroforestry field days and, and they a walnut field day where they you can come out and actually walk the woods, talk to people who are doing that, have interactions with other landowners that may have similar situations. Uh, you know, not everything here is a walnut plantation. There are people with mixed hardwood stands that they come to these field days and it's not, you know, it's not just walnut in Kansas, although it's a very, I mean, walnut is our most significant resource as far as cash value, but uh, there's just a lot of opportunities, um, but I can't, I don't, I, I would be hesitant to try to, uh, depends on what your interest is as to, to what area you might be referred to. Mm -hmm. If you're a homeowner wanting to get started, um, there are woodworkers guilds around the Kansas City Woodworkers Guild and different areas have guilds. If you're from the woodworking standpoint, uh, there's an online forum called the Forestry Forum and a couple of other forums like that for sawyers or loggers and, and, and people with interests like that. And um, there's just a lot of resources. If you get on the internet, you can find a lot of information and not all that's accurate. <laughs> so choose, choose wisely. <laughs> One of the things that I noticed when we, when we established the Kansas Forest Products Association, prior to that, I mean, as Tom mentioned, most people in the logging industry and sawmill industry, they're pretty independent thinkers and, and uh, you know, they kind of want to do their own thing. And oftentimes what I found most interesting when, when the Kansas Forest Products Association was going and it doesn't, and basically, like I say, it kind of merged into the, the Kansas Forestry Association, but people um, even, people see everybody else as their competitor. Um, but what I found is that when people started communicating and visiting with one another, they found out that they had more things in common than, than their, their competitive side. And so it really 
was kind of a, it, it was interesting for me to watch that, that develop where people that wouldn't have talked to one another, or if they passed each other on the road, may not have waved at each other. You know, once they started talking, um, they found out that they could, they could do different things. And some mill, you know, some folks in the milling industry are able to provide services that others aren't. And so, you know, because of maybe mill capacity or, or sizes, as an example, we several, uh, several years ago, I would get calls from people and they'd say, where can I take a log that's 50 inches, you know, plus in diameter to have milled up? Uh, because the old circle mills, sometimes some of those weren't able to handle that big of material and, and the band mills, you know, weren't able to handle that. And so, um, you know, a lot of people, I, they get those calls and, and they'd say, well, I had to go take it down to Oklahoma or take it somewhere over in Missouri. And, and now we actually have um, several mills and are listed on our sawmill list that have larger capacity. The biggest mill that we have, biggest band mill capacity that we have in the state um, is 70 inches. And a young man, a young man Cooper Imthern uh, in Wabunsee County uh, he has that band mill at 70 inch capacity. And we have um, another mill down by Wichita area. It's got a 67 inch you know, capacity. And so those people are able to, to provide a service that, you know, as we talked before about transportation costs and, and those people that were hauling those logs, you know, several hundred miles to have them milled up, they were investing a lot, you know, just in the transportation and issues with that. And so, you know, we, we do have, uh, mill capacity here in the state that's able to handle those bigger mills now or bigger logs now. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a gentleman uh, over in, by uh, Lecompton that has a, an Alaskan chainsaw type mill. Um, and I think that handles up to 66 inch um, bar is what he has on his saw. And so he's able to mill, you know, and that's something that can be brought to a person's property. And I think Tom, you, you work with some of those folks, you know, whenever you run across those exceptionally large trees um, and try to, uh, you know, help people in trying to, to find those services. And so those are the things that I guess making people aware of, of you know, kind of those unusual or unique mills or, or services that we offer. And, you know, I think that's just going to grow over time as well. Um, you know, these, these mills have just come online in the last few years, a lot of them. And so it's something that I think that kind of it's a supply and demand type uh, opportunity. And if the demand is out there, then there's going to be more people that will in, uh, invest, you know, in those, those mills that have larger capacity and be able to provide that service. It may be because of my niche, but you meant, you know, Dave mentioned competition and being challenged by competition. I'm personally, I'm not challenged by competition. I, my service area is about 18,000 square miles. It's Northeast Kansas and goes over into Missouri around Kansas City, Lee Summit, those areas like that. And in that entire area, uh, the, the, the guy that he mentioned in Lecompton with the chainsaw mill, and he can go to 66 inches on his large one. And that was the only option. If it was too big for my, for my mill, for a long time, he was the only option. And then about two years ago or so, one of my former clients, decide he liked the sawmill side of it and he got involved with it and he and his dad purchased a Lucas swing blade mill and they can handle logs up to six feet in diameter and I think their cuts are like in the 70 inch something like that and he is also mobile and portable and um, 
So, but in for the Kansas City metro area, that's it. It's just the three of us. As far as I know, there are mills here, uh, but you don't see any advertising and they're not mobile as far as I know. They just do their own thing. And, uh, and someone will say, oh, there's a sawmill in such and such. And I, you know, even in the same county and there's, I know there are three others, uh, but I seldom see, I mean, somebody may run across them. You might see them on Facebook or something, but uh, those actively out looking for milling opportunities, uh, there aren't very many. So web searches and the, and the, the forestry, uh, uh, forestry services listing of sawmills is a good way to find those people. Well, and it sounds like too, there'd be a good opportunity for somebody that's interested in milling to get, to get involved in it. Cause I can imagine there's a lot of, um, a lot of trees there, especially in the Kansas city metro area that can be utilized to go into lumber projects instead of just going to the, the landfill or, you know, somebody's backyard fire pit. So. And at least one of us is getting older and I don't, I doubt that I will be mobile at 75 years of age. I don't think I'll be mobile at that point, but I'm trying to continue. Uh, mobile appointments for me in the past have been in the 20 to 25 to 30 a year. And COVID hit, you know, I had seven last year and it's, it's already up, up this year, but um, you know, there's an opportunity if people want to do it. Excellent. Well, Tom and Dave, thank you so much for your time today and joining us on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I would just invite you guys to, if you have anything else you'd like to share with the, the folks that are listening today. No, I, I, I guess the big thing that I would like to share is trying to utilize our resources that we have here in the state and trying to utilize those locally. There's lots of crafters. You know, if you go to flea markets and and farmers markets, you're seeing lots of woodcraft type uh, opportunities there. And so um, I think, you know, going forward, um, trying to utilize our resources uh, most efficiently and as locally as we possibly can, kind of going back to the farmers market, you know, type analogy. Um, I think that's, that's an opportunity that definitely uh, people on the smaller sawmill side of things, you know, have a great opportunity uh, to expand and, and try to get into that arena and provide that service. And, and so we as a Kansas Forest Service definitely support, you know, people doing those sorts of things. It helps our resource. It, it makes people more aware um, of the value of our resource that we have here in the state. And so we just encourage anybody even thinking about you know, getting a sawmill or getting into the lumber industry to uh, to give it really some serious thought and uh, see if it might be something that would work for them. All right. Well, guys, thank you again. Um, really appreciate your time. And we'll have to make sure people get all those links for the Kansas Forestry Association and, and we'll keep them posted on Fall Field Day events. That'll be coming up later this year. Thank you. Yep. Thanks. Thank guys. you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for joining us for episode 12 of the Kansas Forest Service podcast. I'm your host, Cassie Wondersee, and you've been listening to our podcast for over a year now. It's crazy to think that it's been a year since we started the storytelling adventure. It's been a fun project for me as we launched it during the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's been a great way to stay connected and to get to know my coworkers and those that work in forestry and, and wildlife and biology across the state a little bit better. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as I have. 
If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would head to wherever you're listening to this at. Make sure you like us, subscribe, leave a review, and more importantly, tell your friends about it. Send them a link so more and more people can continue to enjoy what we're doing. Thank you so much for joining us on this storytelling adventure. I really look forward to bringing you more stories about the people who are passionate about forestry and conservation in Kansas over the next 12 months and hopefully even longer.